non-benders alike, welcome to Braving the Elements, Nickelodeon's podcast about all things Avatarverse. I'm Janet Varney. And I'm Dante Bosco, and we're so psyched to finally be at this point of Avatar The Last Airbender. Varney, since the podcast first came out into the world, we've been hearing from fans about how much they love book one, but how excited they were for us to get into the introduction of... Toph Beifong. Toph Beifong. Don't I know it, my friend? So last week, we finally got to meet the blind bandit herself in the wrestling ring. And oh, talk about what a great episode that was to bring this introduction to Toph beyond what we see in the swamp. I acknowledge that that's absolutely a meeting of a sort with Toph. But to see her in her full glory, just beating the crap out of some dudes. Very satisfying. Very, very cool episode and such a great character. Yeah, but since Top is such a massive force in the Avatarverse fandom, we thought it might be cool to bring in a couple of people who were there when Toph was first conceptualized because Mm -hmm. they were the people who created her. That's right, buddy. Way back in the early aughts, Mike DiMartino and Brian Konetsko created a powerful earthbender. One more powerful than anyone we'd seen before. One who learned how to earthbend from the world's first earthbenders themselves, the badger moles. One who could strike fear in the hearts of even the most powerful benders. And one who didn't see the world in quite the same way as the rest of, say, Team Avatar. So let's once again welcome our two dads, a.k.a. Brank, to chat with us a little bit more about the force of nature that is Toph. I don't know what I was doing there, dads, but (laughs) I certainly did it. You did it. You did great. You did great. I got into wrestler announcer mode is what happened. Hey, that's what you (laughs) do. That's what happened. Yeah. You train on the boulder. I really did. Oh, that's such a great episode. And yeah, the boulder, I mean, the boulder, that's inspired by the rock, right? That's oh, yeah. a, that's so a that lie. was, you know, I've not <laughs> hidden this, I don't think, in the past, but uh, I do have a history of being a fan of the WWE. Uh, yeah. Not so much anymore. WWF. WWF. Well, back when I was a kid, kid. It, yes, we all know when I was a kid. That's it, what it WWF, was. WWF. Until the Come World on. Wildlife Fund <laughs> properly stepped in and, and, you know, probably was the only people who have ever been able to uh, win a legal battle with Vince McMahon. <laughs> But that's probably for another podcast. <laughs> true, true. I want to see that documentary. It might be a little slow moving, but I'm into it. Yeah. Uh, so, yes. So when I was a kid, super into wrestling. That was the Hulk Hogan, Rowdy Rowdy Piper days. Yes. Uh, Andre the Giant. Yes. All those, all those great wrestlers. Side note, favorite wrestler that time. Oh, at that time, that era was, I mean, I was a kid, so I think Hulk Hogan, you know. Hulk Hogan. In retrospect. I was so Jimmy Superfly Snooker Oh, he fan. was cool. He was cool. Jimmy Superfly Snooker. <laughs> yeah. Okay, continue, continue, continue. And I knew who Mr. T was. That's my <laughs> contribution. And then I went to high school, stopped watching wrestling, went to college. The 90s, that era, didn't know anything about it. Then in early LA days, me and my friend Kurt, and I think we roped Brian into it eventually. For some reason, you know, the, the, turn on the TV one night and it sort of brought back like Monday the, Night Raw. Yeah, Monday Night Raw. Like it was like the resurgence and it was the early era of The Rock and I was hooked again. The Rock, I don't have any fan crushes. The Rock is my biggest fan crush. I approve. And now Kurt works with The Rock. And, yeah, <laughs> you know, the Rock made a movie with The Rock. producer yeah. on Kurt's documentary, uh, Stuntman. So. And Kurt, incidentally, he does have a uh, Avatar connection because he directed the Avatar Spirits documentary. Uh, years ago, but there you go. The Rock did not executive produce. No, he did not that <laughs> documentary. And The Rock <laughs> is not the voice of the Boulder, 
This was before he was like The Rock as we know him now, but he was definitely on that trajectory. And since this character was modeled after him, we tried to get him to do the voice, but he was not doing television at the time. That's what his agents told us. But we got the also from that era, Mick Foley, who wrestled with The Rock many, many times, who was also awesome and channeled. It was like a Mick Foley rock mashup, like. Yeah, it was yeah, like it was, him was, doing a, an impression of <laughs> his buddy. You know, yeah, it was great. it was funny. Did he come in? Did you? So was he with the gang? Did he come in by himself? Like, did you get to kind of shake his hand and stuff? I think we met him remotely. I think he was not in L.A., so I definitely don't remember meeting him in person. But I think we said hello over the web. Well, it's such a great conceit in introducing Toph that way. Was that something you knew from the very beginning as far as how you wanted to bring her into the show? It was like, always like, yes, wrestling this is what we got to do. Well, we could back way up. Sure. Because Toph wasn't just Mike and I creating her. You know, it was a big group effort, but her origins go all the way very early on. So when Mike and I did the development Bible in 2002, we knew like, oh, Aang will need a teacher for each element. And who is his teacher going to be? And, you know, so we, we just knew, oh, he'll meet because Katara is not going to be a master. So they'll have to travel to the Northern Water Tribe to meet a master. We didn't really know who that would be. We just knew there'd be a master up there. And then we had the idea that his earthbending teacher would be a kid. And Mike came up with the name Toph in 2002. Such a cool name, by the way. Such a cool name. Yeah. And we wrote that character into like the season two section of the Bible, like kind of this overview. And look, some things from that overview made it in. Some things didn't. A lot of things didn't. We, I went back and read it in some of our original. We just kind of had to like flesh out an entire three seasons like yeah. in a, a couple days or Intense. something and so some of the ideas are kind of wacky but some stuff it's pretty interesting when we go back and look at those old documents some stuff made it in so anyways Toph was there Toph was a boy so we had conceived Toph as a teenage boy who was essentially it's who Bolin ended up being in nice. Korra mm. um, that was much more the kind of character we had in mind wow. he was gonna be like a cuddly jock, yeah. a kind of goofy, <laughs> sweet, but jockey kind of like meathead, you know, like like a kid in high school. Like a character The Rock would play. <laughs> yeah, maybe Rock is a teenager, you know. And um, so that was just in our heads for a long time. I've said before, like by the time we got to season two, Mike and I had been working on the show for like three years. Yeah. So a lot of that stuff, oh, you know, like Azula's going to come. You know, we knew that like, oh, Prince Zuko has a sister. And we just were like really set on Toph's boy, but it was Aaron Ehas who was like, you know, I think we should make Toph a girl. And it's not that Mike and I were like, we don't want girl characters. It's just that we were so used to the idea that we had right. in our head for all these years that we were like, I don't know. I mean, you know, like just got this character in my head. And we actually see evidence of who that character would have been in the test pilot that we did the old opening where the four benders do the elements in front of the backdrop the earthbender was a prototype design i did for what i was thinking of for Toph. so again okay. it was like the avatar equivalent of like a, a linebacker in high school you know like he's a teenager but he's like a really big kid and he had this like big chest and it was one of those things I used that test pilot as a test. I was like testing out designs, testing out art styles and stuff. So it wasn't like set in stone, but I was like, oh, well, like that's who this kid will be. And then that character sort of evolved into the one that's in the opening. And I think that one is more of like an adult 
and then that one kind of looks like the boulder, right? A little bit. Anyways, that was how we thought of it. Well, do you remember, Brian? I could be totally wrong about this, but my memory was that he was still meant to be a blind earthbender, though. For sure. Yeah. That's it was like teenage, big jockey dude, but sweet and goofy blind. Yeah, we always had that idea. And then there was, you know, the really neat synchronicity when we picked Southern Prairie Mantis, this rare style for Toph. And we met with Sifu Manuel, and he was like, you you know, the legend is this style was created by a blind woman. And we were like, we had no idea. (laughs) It was just one of those cool synchronicities. But yeah, we knew Toph was blind. And I remember he wasn't trying to come up with like some like love triangle, like, oh, it'll be fun to have a girl because it's just a different energy. I think we need that energy. Yeah. Instead of three boys in the group at that time. And he convinced us. He made a really good case for it. And then we were on board. We we're like, you know what? Yeah. And then I was like, dude, she should be tiny. <laughs> so I went from the, you know, I had this idea of this big linebacker and I was like, I want her, even for her age, she looks really young. Like right. she's yes. about Aang's age, but she should just be tiny. And then that's where all the like Munchkin. the wrestler stuff came because we really wanted to contrast like she's just this little kid, you know, and these are and a girl and you get to play against sort of expectations and stereotypes and stuff. Yeah, I think we had the idea that related to the wrestling part, it wasn't that it was going to be a wrestling per se, but it was that I think we had the idea that they were going to meet her in kind of an underground bending type of environment. And then I probably <laughs> slapped <laughs> on the, the wrestling stuff later. I don't remember. But, it makes sense, yeah. though. We had a much harder time. You know, Aaron convinced Mike and I, but we had a much harder time convincing the network to allow Toph to be a girl. There was resistance. Wow. But obviously, we won that argument and got to make Toph tough. No, I love it because, you know, Earth is kind of a masculine kind of like element to a degree. The way Earthbending moving mountains and then you have this small girl doing it, which is the most powerful one, is really... And she's still quite masculine and beautifully so, you know. And beautifully so. Yeah. Or just androgynous, you know, that just sort of... Androgynous, yeah. Yeah. But masculine is just an energy, you know. It's like... It's just an energy, yeah. Feminine's an energy, masculine's an energy. Absolutely. You balance these things. Everybody has these things in them and to different degrees and different expressions and i am forever grateful to aaron for really sticking to his guns on that because it was absolutely the right call and then we got to do bolin so it was like we got to do that character that had been rattling around in our heads for years and they rattled around even longer but so it's like it's cool you know we still got to use that idea and kind of bring that character to life. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, I love the character of Bolin so much in The Legend of Korra. I know many of us are very glad that um, that you were able to bring him to life. Now, getting back to when we first meet Toph, we see her running and giggling, which is funny because she is very childlike and, you know, the sort of giggling. You really don't necessarily put those things together because she doesn't have that. And it's not how we ultimately know Toph later on her right. in her outfit and all that kind of She's wearing like... Well, she's wearing, she's wearing the, what her like parents the, make her the wear. The clothes that her parents yeah. make her wear. Yeah. Yeah, her gown stuff. Yeah. yeah. 
This is such an obvious thing to say, but even just down to her hair, because one of my pet peeves in live action movies is when action heroes have a lot of hair in their face. And I'm always like, how can you see? What are you doing? You have you're a super chic, cool woman who's like a fighter, but you also have a curtain of hair over the right side of your face. Like, isn't your equilibrium off? That bothers me. And I really appreciate that the character who has their hair in their face doesn't need to be able to see in the same <laughs> right. conventional way. It really works. It's a great touch. So there's a, something related to that in the Bitter Work episode where she's teaching Aang. We were behind in design. You know, as always, I was running the art department, but we were behind. So Ethan Spaulding, just in the storyboard, he made Toph's rock suit, that like suit of armor that she bends onto herself. And he was just thinking like, I don't know, like a ninja or something. And I, I could have this backwards, but I think he had her eyes like a space open around her eyes. And we were like, when we finally got to design it, so he kind of designed it in the storyboard. That happens sometimes. It looked cool, but we were like, oh, well, she doesn't need that. Because she doesn't need to see. So we did it more like RoboCop, where the opening was around her mouth, you know, so she could breathe. And so we just covered her eyes, mm. which now is like everybody loves these like mechs and, and helmets that just look like they have no eyes or no visor. You know, it's like very in vogue. Oh, sure. But what happened was we did the right thing. We fixed it in the design, <laughs> but the animation studio followed the storyboard because it was so well drawn. They didn't follow the design. We forgot. When we did retakes, no one remembered. And then we were like, oh, we looked at the design. We're like, why didn't we fix that? So that one got biased. So it's interesting yeah. that it was, wasn't, and then was. And then that's how it ended up. Um, I feel like people can forgive you. Again, it's very clear that there was just a lot going on and a lot of shuffling and a lot of things to be focused on to the fact that you guys had to oversee everything and be looking for the smallest to the biggest stuff is mind blowing to me. The storytelling, the introduction of Toph, and this is sort of a broad, it's more of a statement of appreciation, but I like the way there's conflict in the characters. It's not deep, abiding, dark tension between characters, but just the sort of way it would be if you were sort of thrown together with people you didn't know. Katara and Sokka obviously have their brother-sister tension. It's a tension that is really well-written because it feels like it comes out of having grown up together. But then you have the tension of, say, Toph and Katara, you know, as we first meet Toph. And I just love, and the same with Zuko, that the show really gives a place for all of that stuff to go and grow and develop. It's not like, hi, and now we're best friends. Great to meet you. Like, I guess I'm right. just part of this now. You know, you do have conversations about that, about how to shape the dynamic of introducing Toph to the other characters and what that was going to look like. You know, when I think back, I do remember broadly, it was like Aang, Sokka and Katara have now been a unit for a while. Yeah, they got their stuff or whatever, but, you know, they've kind of figured out their dynamic and they're getting along and, and whatnot. And then, yeah, you throw this like. Not just another person, but someone who's like really has no manners, is gonna, just going to say whatever they want. Like it throws <laughs> the whole dynamic off in a fun way. And then, yeah, she has her interpersonal conflicts with Katara and then, you know, with Aang, especially when she's training him. And then, there, you know, there's a little crush going on with, with Sokka later. So it definitely helped like make that group dynamic feel kind of fresh and new moving forward in the series. That's great. I love what 
all the bending, you know, you kind of take it past just like, oh, fire bending or water bending. Like with the earth bending, you took it past and started just the idea of metal bending started coming into play. Well, how early did that vision come with you guys were crafting top and how she's this person can not just bend earth, but also takes it to like the next level of bending as you push all the elements. And you actually ask the questions I think that fans ask as they're watching the show, they try to like outsmart the writers and stuff. You guys are constantly doing that to yourselves as you're kind of developing the show. And when did that happen for metal bending? I don't remember the exact timing on that, but we always would try to think of like Kung Fu movie stuff. Yeah. Like like the high level, the 36 shell chamber, like what's that? inner circle locked door technique like what's like the ultimate technique so a lot of people would say oh what about metal because in buddhism or you know or like different kind of more eastern philosophies it's not just the four elements right but it's not just metal and wood like that's in certain kinds of philosophies but there are ones in eastern uh, philosophy that are four and actually i think i based the tops of the earthbenders helmets it was it's a sort of spike that's on the top of it it's like a cube and then a circle and then a like a cone and i think i found some architectural thing where it was referencing like the four elements or something oh, but nice. anyways mm. i digress that's a share me the details I don't right there <laughs> i think we knew you know pretty early on that we were going to aim towards that so we wanted to set it up as a limitation and fire nation being firebenders they smelt they make a lot of metal and if earthbenders can't bend metal and firebenders big technological advantage in the war is all of their metal steam stuff that's usually how wars happen right or invasions it's like someone has some better technology military technology that no one else has so it was just kind of like ooh, but then you could have a character like ultimately figure out how to break through that barrier. It's so great. She's Magneto. It's so great. Let's talk about Michaela. She played Meng in book one. Did that stay with you or was it just, you know, oh, we remember Michaela. She did a great job. We're auditioning a bunch of people and and it ended up working out. Yeah, my recollection is she was great as Meng. Once we all were like, yes, Toph's a girl. She's going to be this cute, tiny girl, but she just kind of trash talks people and whatever. We're like, I think our idea was like, oh, it'd be so cool to take that cute voice that Michaela did on this totally different kind of character. I mean, I think there were auditions because we had to see, like, right. could she pull that off? And she did. And we couldn't right. imagine Toph any other way. Or as we knew her back then, you guys, Jesse Flowers. Right. Yes. For sure. I think we were in the studio. We're like, Jesse, what's your real name? Michaela Murphy. We're like, I didn't learn that till years later. <laughs> I thought her name was Jesse Flower. I, like, I didn't what? know that was a stage name. I just yeah. thought that was her name. And uh, I never thought about it. Yeah, we loved her as Mang. That character was so memorable. And we certainly had voice actors. You know, you need people to do multiple voices. Like, oh, can you be guard number two? And oh, D can do different sounding voices you know like no one will notice if it's he plays another character but to my knowledge that was the first time we took someone who is a kid who just does one voice and just said like we're just gonna do that over again <laughs> like like that was a one-time <laughs> character but we just i want more of that you know and we were just such fans mang was such a fun character just so much personality so yeah, and Jesse was so young that she by the time we got around to doing Toph, I mean maybe she was a, a year older, but she actually sounded a little different. So yeah, mm-hmm. or she could just play a little. She was like aging into that voice a little bit. So All right, yeah, it was fun. Well, you did that with another voice actor, a later character 
that came back did a very similar voice. To- <laughs> that was like not within like when one season or two seasons. Yeah. <laughs> just joking, just joking. Like, then- We're like, he's aging. He's aging. <laughs> he sounds different. <laughs> he's aging so good. <laughs> <laughs> It's perfect. Um, how has it been for you to get feedback from fans about Toph being blind, about inspiring people and having people who are differently abled feel recognized and represented in some way? You know, we always get like great feedback when we're at cons and, and stuff of like what the characters mean to people. And Toph has meant a lot to everyone, like a lot of different people, not just people who are differently abled like some of the more memorable ones was like guys who look really tough being like toss my favorite character yeah that was great you just get that like she it kind of transcends like just one type of person totally she's very inspiring in different ways to different people i think in part because she is who she is she's not making any apologies for it and take it or leave it (laughs) you know i'm so glad you reminded me of that like like you know we would fight our battles like when they were making the toys, they wouldn't make a Katara toy. And then the fans like drowned out that toy panel at Comic-Con. Like, where's Katara? Where's Katara? It was just always so validating. And um, like I said, we had quite a battle to convince the network to let us make Toph a girl. And wow, it's so wild. You know, it's just, I think they were still clinging on to this idea that they wanted like a boy audience. But Mike and I have always been like, when I was a kid, I watched shows with girls all the time. And I was never like, it wasn't a problem. If it was a good show, I was into the show. And I think I remember those tough looking, like muscular teenage kid. And, and we were like, so who's your favorite character? And he's like, tough. And I, was I like, love it. We got so many of those, but that one was really memorable. And it's just vindicating. You know, you're just like, if you could just get the the suits to understand you yeah know, just let go don't want to tell them i told you so but yeah, yeah but we told you so, so. Oh, and she's so great she just represents a different type of kiddo too i mean that's something that she i relate yeah. more to her as scrappy and barefoot and that's me yeah i'm not this this yeah. or this but i am that you know <laughs> yeah i was at a an art fair in la it was right before the pandemic and I was with my partner and she was looking at books and stuff. And so I was just kind of like killing some time. And then all of a sudden there was like a zine. I don't know if people know what zines are anymore. Yeah. But it was kind of a zine. It was like a self-printed zine. And it was on green paper. You know, and you're just there's like you're tired. You've seen a ton of art and all these little booths and there's people wandering around. And I just noticed Toph on the cover. And I picked it up and it was this whole zine about how Toph was like a queer icon for this author of this zine and for people. And it was so cool. I was just like sitting there. <laughs> Again, that feedback loop. How serendipitous. Like you and a group of people put your heads together and come up with something. You, you put it out. You do your best. You put it out there. You think it's something that needs to be brought into existence. And then it takes on a life of its own and it weaves into people's lives and hearts and brains in a way you can't predict. And um, and then I'm standing there reading this zine in like 2019. It's just wild. That's wonderful. I'm good. Dee, you got any more questions before we let our dads get back to work? Amazing. I just love the story of the, of the name Toph. I think there's like another episode we get to just like break down where you came up with these names because they're all interesting names yeah. from Toph to Zuko to Azula to Katara. Saga. Like, where do they come from? How did you muster yeah. them up? But that's for another conversation. Yeah. I guess the last right 
Should we talk about the design? Please. Yeah, please. You know, by this point, we're into season two. We had Angela Song Mueller doing character designs. Uh, Aaron Alexovich had done a bunch of character designs on season one. I would still either do like sometimes a concept for a character or I would like if there was a special character like this, I would like I want to design it. You know, like the Toph is like part of the group. Like I want to do it. So, yeah, I remember being, uh, as always, insanely behind in my work, behind schedule. Everybody's waiting for my designs. Deadlines whizzing past my head every hour. (laughs) But I always ask some artists at Avatar Studios, how to pronounce this artist's name, this Japanese artist. They've tried to teach me, like, and I still can't do it. So I'm going to just butcher it. I'm sorry. This is the wrong way to say it, but it's how all of my, like, American animation friends, or a lot of them say it. Range Murata. But it's R-A-N-G-E. But Toff's design was inspired by Range mm-hmm. Murata's work. Did, like, Blue Submarine 6 designs. are Just absolutely incredible. So, yeah, it was really fun. And I had gone to the brand library in Glendale has an incredible art book collection. You can't check the stuff out, but you can go research stuff there. And I had done a lot of research into different traditional clothing around the different ethnic groups in China. And that's where I came up with Toff's like the costume that you think of the one with like pom poms in her hair and stuff, not the kind of fancier garb that her parents make her wear. So yeah, it was really fun to do that design. And yeah, I was thinking about the hair and the eyes, Janet. (laughs) (laughs) I was trying to think of ways to, this might sound, maybe you've never thought of it, but like I was trying to think of ways to make her seem blind Mm. in animation. It's so hard. I mean, those kind of subtleties. That makes sense. You know, an actor on screen could study blind people or do to the Hollywood version, which is probably not very realistic. Right. But in the animation, that like it's hard to get that kind of thing. So we did stuff like I gave her eyes a kind of soft, like her irises. Her pupils aren't black. They're like a soft kind of cloudy look. Mm-hmm. Right. And she doesn't have highlights on her eyes. And we made rules that she never blinks. Yeah. They might have had her blink a couple times. It slips through. But we tried to never have her blink. And I had a rule that her irises don't look, quotes around, look They don't look left or right or up or down. They just stay fixed forward as much as possible. And then we made notes for the storyboard artists and the animators that try not to have her face people when she talks to them. She's not trying to make eye contact. She sees them. Yeah. She knows where they are. And if anything, we would have her turn her ear towards them. And so that stuff kind of helps because it was not only were we trying to like make this character seem blind, but we wanted to make her seem blind, yet she could see. She knew where everything was probably better than people relying on totally. sight. Yeah. So that's an extra challenge, like an extra layer of subtlety. But those things, I think they kind of help. It helped they do. give her a different body language and you kind of get the idea. Yeah, I grew up around a wonderful blind woman who was kind of a parental figure to me. And all of the things you just described, I recognized immediately. Like she absolutely would turn her ear to interact and her eyes look just like that. So it's different for different folks and the way that they have or don't have the abilities that they have. But I thought you nailed it. It's wonderful. And all of that plays. I love the way she fights. I'm a big Daredevil fan, comics and Hmm. before all the live action, the way he kind of fights and how he can sonarly navigate a room and how you 
depicted that with Toph, I was totally geeking out on all. Oh that man, stuff. coming up with like visualizing Toph vision mm-hmm. in two mm-hmm. D animation, oh. like in TV. <laughs> like that's one that's tough. Toph vision. If you were doing CG, like if you're doing three D animation, I'm not saying it'd be easy, but yeah. It'd be pretty easy. <laughs> you could yeah. just have like a shockwave like ripple through like ambient right. lit models because that was the whole idea. Was there's what we were trying to show is there's no lighting. Mm-hmm. It's just forms. forms. It's just like an yeah. ambient lit <clears throat> thing, and then there's these shockwaves going through it. What I liked was it, even though that's her specific way of seeing, it showed what Mike and I were trying to do with bending. In that, it's not magic in a sense that like, oh, you could just magic wand something over there across a river. Your chi has to like radiate from you, and it gets right. weaker as it goes mm-hmm. out, like a sort of sound wave, like a shock wave. So it was kind of cool to visualize that but boy was it a pain in the butt you really gave yourself another thing (laughs) to just put on top of the list of challenges of making the show well we are going to let our dads get back to work working on i didn't even leave space for you to feel like you had to fill anything i just made (laughs) yeah we're doing a movie (laughs) very cool feature film and feature films are really hard (laughs) fabulous that's a beautiful tidbit and uh, thank you so much for talking with us about Toph and getting us really in the Toph zone for the remainder of book two it's been great and I've learned so much about her inception that I didn't know about so this has been fantastic thank you both again thank you guys thanks guys thanks for having us yeah we love Toph she's so good and we love Michaela. Thanks for listening to Avatar Brave the Elements. And make sure to subscribe and please leave us a review. It really helps the podcast so much. And me and Janet really appreciate it. Next week, we are so excited to finally be talking to the voice and wonderful human being behind Toph herself, Michaela Jill Murphy, who you might also know as Jesse Flowers. You can follow me on social media at the JV Club on Instagram and at Janet Varney on Twitter. And I'm at Dante Bosco on both of those. We'll see you next Tuesday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.